welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. We have over the last uh, several Sunday evenings been doing a series on the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So I began it and we talked on the first evening about the personality of the Spirit. And then for the next three Sunday evenings, Chris has talked to you about the power of the Holy Spirit. And tonight, it's back to me again. And I want to talk to you uh, for a couple of Sunday nights about the pictures of the Holy Spirit. So the personality, the power, the pictures. Um, Just by way of kind of a review, many people, um, for for many people, the Holy Spirit is a somewhat vague, uh, shadowy figure. Um, often spoken about in terms of really him being an impersonal force uh, and it rather than a personality. And, and I guess it's easy enough to understand why that is. Um, he doesn't have the attributes of uh, corporeality uh, uh, that Jesus does. He doesn't have a physical body in the same way that Jesus does. Um, but as we looked at that first evening, he has all the attributes of personality. The accepted attributes of personality are intellect, emotion, and will, and the Holy Spirit clearly exhibits all of those traits. To fail to see the Holy Spirit as a person inevitably robs him of the honor and the worship that is due to him as a member of the Godhead. And um, if we don't see him as a person, we will not relate to him properly or give him the love, the trust, and the obedience that we should. Um, When some people hear a call like we have made over these last few Sunday nights that he wants an intimate relationship with you, some people feel somewhat uncomfortable because they say, well, doesn't the scripture say that he will not speak of himself? Meaning that he won't draw attention to himself, that he's self-effacing, that he wants to stay in the background, that he doesn't want people focusing on him. Well, what I would want to say to that is, yes, of course, he's humble, but that, that's the nature of God. Um, he has come to put the spotlight on Jesus because his absorbing passion is to glorify him. He wants to magnify, to mediate, to minister Jesus at every opportunity. But when the scripture says that he doesn't speak of himself, it really doesn't mean that he's self-effacing and doesn't want the spotlight on himself. What that means is that he doesn't speak out of his own resources, independent of the Father. In the same way that Jesus said, I do not say things of myself, I say what I hear the Father saying, I do what I see the Father doing. In exactly the same way, the Holy Spirit does and speaks what the Father is speaking and doing. So the Holy Spirit isn't some kind of shy, retiring member of the Godhead. He was the author of the Scriptures, he breathed the Scriptures, and he refers to himself often in those passages in the Scriptures. So we are invited into... And he desires to uh, have us enter into an intimate friendship with him. Not a retiring person who's not interested in the relationship and just keeps pointing us to Jesus. You know, understanding the Trinity, when you worship one, you worship three. When you worship three, you, you worship each one of them. 
And so when we're called into an intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit, it's not something odd. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 says, the amazing grace of the master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That was Paul's benediction. The intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. When you're seeking to cultivate a friendship with somebody, one of the things you do is you find out about them, you find out as much about them as, as you possibly can. What they like, what their dreams are, what their hopes are, what their aspirations are, and so on. And uh, in a way, what we are seeking to do through this series is introduce you to that, to the hopes, the aspirations, the loves, the, the, the absorbing passion of the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, when you're doing a series like this, the biggest challenge we have is narrowing it down to make it manageable. You know, I could have, we could have looked at the titles of the Holy Spirit. There's something like 37 of them in, in, the, in the scriptures. He's the spirit of adoption. He's the spirit of grace. He's the spirit of truth. Each title tells you something about the way that he functions and about who he is. Maybe somewhere in this series, we may actually look at the prepositions of the Holy Spirit that are used, the, prep, the Greek prepositions that are used to describe how he functions. And when you look at those, you really begin to get a feel of the relationship that the Holy Spirit desires to have with us. In looking at the pictures of the Spirit, what I'm going to do is just pick a couple of the symbols that are used through the Scriptures to describe the way He functions. Again, there are many more than we can consider. There are possibly something as many as 26 pictures of the ministry and person of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm probably just going to pick out a couple of them over the next couple of weeks and look at them in a little more detail. And I want to begin this evening by one that we are, by starting with one that we are actually very familiar with. And it's the picture of, of the dove. In John chapter 1, verse 32, um, John the Baptist, it says, bore record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he abode on him. This was at the baptism of Jesus. The Bible says the heavens were rent, and John said, I saw the Spirit come on him, and the, 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 the Spirit was embodied in the picture or the symbol of the dove. And the question I want to ask and briefly answer with you tonight is, why is the dove a fitting symbol of the personality and ministry of the Holy Spirit? And in considering this symbol, what can we learn about this person's desires, aspirations, dreams? What, we, what can we learn about them? So I want to consider five things with you. Number one, the dove is a symbol of motherhood and life. Okay. Firstly, the dove is a symbol of motherhood and life. When you look at Genesis chapter 1, the opening verses of, of our Bible, verses 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and a darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved, or literally in the Hebrew was hovering upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Now the Scriptures tell us that the agency for bringing order and life and light out of this incredibly chaotic scene is the Spirit of God. And he is hovering over this chaos. He's hovering over this darkness. 
The Hebrew word from which we get the English word moved is a root word that means to brood, as a mother bird would brood over a nest. In fact, it's used that way in Deuteronomy 32 verse 11 where it says, as an eagle stirs up her nest and flutters or broods over her young, spreads her wings abroad and takes them and bears her on, a, on, on her wings. The, the Latin Vulgate version of this uh, passage in Genesis um, says that the Holy Spirit was incubating over, over the chaotic waters and the Talmudic version uh, adds like a dove. So incubating like a dove over this in, scene of incredible chaos. For those of you who enjoy literature, you may have read um, Milton's epic work, Paradise Lost, and he caught the idea when he wrote, dove-like sat us brooding upon the vast abyss. Dove-like sat brooding upon the vast abyss. That passage beautifully illustrates how the Holy Spirit brings life and order out of what is chaos. It's interesting, but in the Hebrew where it describes the earth being without form and void, the Hebrew is tohu wabohu. And, and it's kind of an interesting little sort of flick on words that we would, we would in English say topsy-turvy or maybe a wreck and a ruin. Into that wreck and into that ruin comes the Holy Spirit like a mother bird beginning to brood over it, incubating over it, moving and creating an atmosphere into which the word of God can be spoken, light can come and order can begin to form. And what is true of that original creation is also true of you and I as new creations born by the spirit of God. You know, the Bible says that before we come to Christ, our lives is much like that original scene. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. There's darkness and there's ruin. Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, before I was a Christian, actually, I was a reasonably respectable person. My life wasn't particularly ruined. It seemed actually to be relatively ordered and somewhat fruitful. Well, may I say to you as kindly as I possibly can, then if that's the way you see your life pre-Christ, then you haven't grasped the destructive nature of sin and you fail to realize the damage that it was working in your life. You may have been, you may have been a respectable wreck and a ruin, but you were nonetheless wrecked and ruined. We all are without Christ. And what the Holy Spirit does is brood over our lives, even though we're in that darkness, even though our lives are topsy-turvy, and he created a platform into which the Word of God could come and begin to change us. Theologians call that the prevenient grace of God. Pre means going before. What that acknowledges is that God is always previous. God is in his grace, always previous. And before a person can ever seek God, God must have first sought that person. The impulse to pursue God always originates in God. While our lives were dark and chaotic in their rebellion and sin, the Holy Spirit comes brooding like a dove over our wreck and ruin, seeking to draw us to a place where the word of God can be spoken over us and light and life and order can begin to come. So the Holy Spirit is a symbol of motherhood and life, and we see that in the opening chapters of the Bible. Secondly, the dove is a symbol of loyalty and chastity. 
It's a symbol of loyalty and chastity because the dove, unlike many other birds, pairs off for life with its mate. It lives in strict monogamy, never desiring, with, uh, never desiring another mate. And that thought is intensified and developed when you look at another unique feature of the dove, which is its vision. The dove doesn't have the split vision or the peripheral vision that most other birds have. It's been found that the dove can only focus on one object at a time. The Song of Solomon describes the bridegroom, and it describes him this way in Song of Solomon chapter 5, verse 1. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted in jewels. The bridegroom in the Song of Solomon, by the way, speaks to us of Jesus. And the fact that he has eyes like a dove speaks of his loyal, chaste commitment. He does not have what we sometimes describe as a roving eye. He isn't looking for others. He isn't flirting with others. He has, as the song says, only eyes for you. Dove's eyes are a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit also, for he only has eyes for Jesus. His absorbing passion, his overriding objective is to glorify the Son of God. Just as Jesus' absorbing passion was to come to explain and reveal and interpret and make known the nature and will of the Father, so likewise it is the passion of the Holy Spirit to explain, to reveal, to interpret, and to make known the nature and will of Jesus. Jesus. And he wants to reproduce that singleness of purpose in you and I. In James chapter 4 verse 5, it says, Or do you think the scripture says without reason that the spirit he has caused to live in us envies intensely? So here it's talking about the jealousy of the Holy Spirit, and he is jealous over you. Now, we don't have to make apologies for God's jealousy as if it were somehow a flaw in his character. His jealousy is not like the self-centered human jealousy that we know born out of our fear and insecurity. His jealousy is an essential part of his nature. In fact, in the Bible, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, it says, don't worship any other God. His name is the jealous one. He is a jealous God. And the jealousy of God amounts to a hatred for that which is uh, compromise for the infidelity, for the ungodliness of his people. He's not jealous because his ego is bruised. He is jealous because when we compromise, when we, are, uh, when we move in infidelity, it robs not him but us. And he has these wonderful purposes for us and he is jealous over them that you enter into and experience the fullness of the life that he's intended for you. So jealousy is not something, as I say, rooted in his fear or insecurity or his bruised ego, but it is all about what he wants for you and that our own disobedience robs him of the joy of seeing you move into it. The Holy Spirit has dove's eyes. He has a single focus, and he wants you and I to be the same. The, bride, uh, the bridegroom is described in Song of Solomon as having dove's eyes, and in Song of Solomon chapter 1, verse 15, it describes the bride the same way. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes, uh, your eyes are doves. And what he's longing for is that we have eyes only for Jesus, our bridegroom. The Holy Spirit wants us to be just like him, to have eyes for Jesus, to have a single focus on, on the 
on the beauty and the glory of the Son of Man. The third thing that uh, the dove so wonderfully reminds us of the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit is that the dove is clean in nature. In Song of Solomon chapter six, verse nine, it says, my dove, my undefiled is but one. The dove was a clean bird and therefore under the Old Testament uh, regime was allowable uh, or was allowed for sacrifices. So the key characteristics of a clean bird was that it could fly and that didn't feed on flesh. When we are dealing with the Holy Spirit, sometimes we use that name so rapidly and so with so much familiarity, we, we perhaps pass over the idea of the holiness involved in the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter one puts it in a way that kind of gives it a little flip and makes us concentrate on that when he says, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. He is a spirit of holiness. And again, he seeks to reproduce that in you. He wants to present us in that same way before God. He wants you to be holy. You know, in a number of passages, in Leviticus in the Old Testament and Peter in the New Testament, the scripture says, be holy even as he is holy. And I don't know about you, but for a long time in my journey, that was a daunting statement. It was like, run a four-minute mile, son, because it just felt beyond me. It felt like, be holy as he's holy. Yeah, right, fat chance. Until I began to understand that the idea of holiness is not just simply be pure, although of course that, that nuance is there as well. The, this is not a daunting command, it is a wonderful promise. He is saying, I want to make you whole even as God is whole. And all of us long for wholeness. When we say colloquially of somebody, man, they've got it all together with a little touch of envy. What we're saying is they seem to be whole in an area that I don't experience and I wish I was like that. And for all of us, the longing is to be whole where we see ourselves as actually being broken. And this is a wonderful promise, not a daunting command that is beyond our ability. He's not saying, you be like me or there'll be trouble. He's saying, my commitment to you is to make you whole even as I am whole and I will do it by the spirit of holiness. This is a wonderful promise. The Holy Spirit is clean and clear in nature. And when he wants to make you holy, he wants to make you like himself. You know, many times we treat the Holy Spirit, I think, as a means to an end. Um, when we say we want the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives and in our meetings, what we actually want is what he can do. We want his power. We want his healing, we want his deliverance, but we're not always committed to being a people of holiness and righteousness. And in the long term, we can't have what he does without also partaking of who he is. And he's the Holy Spirit. The dove won't stay in the midst of ongoing willful corruption. You remember the story in the Old Testament when Noah sent the dove out of the ark to see if the waters had abated. And it returned a number of times to the ark. It could not remain among the decomposing flesh left there by the flood. The raven that he sent out, by contrast, stayed out there once it was sent. The raven, of course, is an unclean bird. But the dove is a clean bird and it sought to come back to the ark because the Bible says it could find no place to rest its foot. I wonder if the Holy Spirit has a place to rest his foot in your life. 
There are things in the life of a fellowship, there are things in the life of individuals that sometimes cause the dove to maybe not want to remain. Listen to this passage in Ephesians chapter four. Therefore, each of you must put, a, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Talking about a place where you can put your feet down. The raven put his feet down on the uncleanness. Here Paul is saying, the devil puts his feet down in places where he is given a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't grieve the dove. Give him place for his feet. With whom you were sealed for, uh, for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in God forgave you. Paul is exhorting the people in Ephesus to give the Holy Spirit a place where he can put his foot down, not a place where the devil can put his foot down. And he gives this list of things that in a fellowship or in the life of an individual can grieve the Spirit of God, can give place to sometimes demonic activity. You know, naturalists used to say that the dove has no gall, and gall was considered uh, of old to be a source and the foundation of contention and bitterness. So in this passage, it's no wonder then that he is so offended when we take up offenses against one another, since he has no gall, and he wants us to be of the same kind. No bitterness. He wants to ensure that there is a place in this fellowship, in the fellowship that you're part of in your life and in your family where he can rest, where he can put his foot down. Number four, the dove is beautiful in both plumage and swift of wing. So Psalm 68 verse 13 says, even while you sleep among the campfires, the wings of my dove are sheathed with silver, its feathers with shining gold. And that passage speaks of the beauty of the dove as it flies and wheels in the Middle Eastern uh, evening light. And it talks about it looking like silver and gold. Both those metals, by the way, are very, very suggestive. Through the scripture, silver speaks of redemption and gold speaks of the nature of God. It speaks of the divine nature. So here we see the beauty of the Holy Spirit's person, the one who comes to both bring redemption and to invite you into being a partaker of the nature of God. As lofty as that sounds, that's exactly what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The Holy Spirit comes to bring redemption and to, to make you a partaker of the divine nature. You know when I said before, he comes to make you whole like he's whole and he does it. And he does it by working redemption in the midst of us. Redemption isn't just when you become a Christian. It's a process into which he invites you, where he starts to rebuild the brokenness, where he starts to speak into the disorder and the chaos of your lives and brings light and life and fruitfulness. If you want to see what it is that he intends to do in the new creation, look what he did in the first creation. Order, fruitfulness, life. And all along says, and it's good, 
and it's good, and it's very good. That's what he wants to do in you and I. The dove is also known for its speed in flight. Psalm 55 verse 6 said, I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove that I would fly away and be at rest. The dove apparently can fly for many hours and at a speed that few can match. And I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit is equally quick in his transactions. You're not going to outrun him. Okay? He, he, there's no overtaking him. There's no taking him by surprise. The dove is a wonderful picture of the way that he functions in our midst. And finally, the dove is social in its habitat. Isaiah 60 and verse 8 says, Who are these that fly along the clouds like the doves to their nests? And what the prophet is referring to there is the habit of doves in the east to fly in large companies. The dove is a social bird, and so is the Holy Spirit. He loves the society of the redeemed. He loves the company of the saints. And what he is, he wants to impart to you. He wants you to love the church of God. What bothers me, I I guess, and you can probably understand that with me being a pastor, is that I hate hearing people disparage the church. I hate people criticizing the church. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be uh, discerning uh, of the fellowship that we're in, but, but I see more and more in our day people pulling away from the church, pointing the finger at the church, and, and going off as classic Westerners into individualism where, you know, me and Jesus got a good thing going, we don't need anybody else. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not the message of the Bible. The Bible uh, tells us that God loves the company of the redeemed. And I know that the church, you know, I've been part of it for 40 plus years. I know it's warts. I know it's struggles. I know how sometimes we can fall so short of what God intends us to be in the world. But I'll tell you something, Jesus loves the church and he died for it and you better not be too critical of it with all its warts. Rather than stand off and criticize, he would rather get you to roll up your sleeves and dive in and Bring your gifts to the table, not sitting off in some isolated place looking for the love of God and the purposes of God. You know, the Bible says that we will understand the love of God with all the saints. In Ephesians, it talks about that. I'm I'm sorry, but you're not going to understand the love of God outside of the community of the redeemed. You say, well, Don, I know God loves me. Well, you might. But I want to tell you, to experience the love of God in reality, you need to be part of an ongoing community of, of, of the redeemed. The Holy Spirit dwells in the midst of that community. And with all its warts, he loves it and is committed to it because Jesus loves it, is committed to it, and died for it. So be careful of people who are really off, you know, quick off the mark to, to be critical of the church. You know... Um, As a father, I know what it's like sometimes when I need to, you know, I mean, they're older now, but when I used to discipline my children, I could speak to them in ways that I would never allow other people to speak to them. I could bring correction to them and direction to them, but if somebody outside of my family tried doing that, they, they, you know, Papa Bear's liable to rise up and, and launch into them. 
to my shame, you know, I tell, I tell a story one time many, many years ago, all right, but I was in a mall and uh, I noticed my son, who was probably just early teens, um, up, up on the top level of the mall and, and there was a group of guys around him. And uh, I noticed that he looked somewhat uncomfortable and I, I thought the interaction didn't feel good. So I got on the elevator, came up and the guys sort of moved away and Dion was left there. I said, what did they want? And he said, oh, nothing. And I said, no, no, what did they want? And he said, they, were, they said they wanted my cap. And they were, go- they were gonna take my cap. I said, oh, really? Okay, I looked around. And there's no sign of them anyway, so I thought, oh, well. So, I, you know, we just went on shopping and I, I just as discreetly as possible, you know, given that he's a teenager, kind of followed him about 10 or 15 meters away. And lo and behold, these guys kind of formed as a group and came up and they didn't see me. They obviously didn't know that I was related to the the boy that they were hassling and they went up and sort of gave him a push or something in me went like that. And I mean, I covered that ground in four giant steps and the guy that had pushed down and tried to take his cap got hit with a head-high tackle that you would have been yellow, probably red-carded. <laughs> probably red-carded, you know. Just there wouldn't have been any going upstairs. It was a head-high, deliberate, head-high tackle. And the guy went sprawling, and, and I was on top of him in a flash. You know, this is your pastor. And, I'm, and, and um, I'm saying, you touch him one more time, and I'll knock the snot out of you, son. And so they split. That, that's the father's heart. Not always a good, you know, model for the, you know, peaceful community, loving pastor, but that's what happens with a father when somebody messes with his kids. And I want to tell you, from the bottom of my heart, don't mess with the church. You know, by all means, bring your gifts, bring your analysis. If you need to do your criticism, do it in the right way, in the right place, to the right people. But don't you mess with his church, because it's the love of his life. And he died for it. And the Holy Spirit dwells in the midst of his people. He's a social bird. So that's just five characteristics of a a dove. And as you go through those, you begin to sense something of the absorbing passion of the Holy Spirit, that he brings life out of darkness, that he wants to focus our vision and make it as single-minded as his is, focused on the Lord Jesus Christ that he wants to bring wholeness to you, that he brings redemption and the invitation to partake of the divine nature, and it all happens in the community in which he's part. There are plenty of other symbols of the Holy Spirit that you could, with incredible profit, take time to meditate on. If you want to know this person, you get to know his heart, you get to know his dreams, his absorbing passion, the longings that he has. That you, you do that with any friendship. If you want intimate friendship with him, do it there too, okay? Would you stand with me? Could I have the musicians come? Father, we thank you for the power of your word. And I pray tonight, Lord, that um, something in our heart would be opened up, that a spirit of revelation would come. And we sang before, the more we see, the more we love you. 
Lord, the longing of our heart is that you would touch our eyes and that instead of being distracted and roving, you would touch them and begin to focus them on yourself in ways where truly we would become single-minded. We'd become focused in our vision. Holy Spirit, the longing of our heart is that we could know you intimately and that as you come and begin to create order in our darkness and chaos, um, more and more we would become like you. We would see life coming where previously death had reigned. We would see order coming where there had been chaos. We'd see holiness coming where previously there had been unholiness. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. The longing of our heart is that we could know you and in knowing you, we would be drawn to Jesus. We bless you, we love you, we welcome you. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.